Welcome to the Moving Up Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Wilson, CEO of the Wilson Group Real Estate Services, and my passion is creating success in people by sharing my experiences in real estate, entrepreneurship, and community involvement. My partner, Heather Wimbrod, and I will be hearing from expert leaders in these spaces and giving you practical advice to help you accelerate your business. So pull up a seat because we are about to have a lot of fun. It's time for you to move up. to another great episode of the Moving Up Podcast. Heather and I are excited to have a return guest, Mr. Adam Barber, who is an attorney with, say the name of your attorney for Adam. Uh, Martin Heller Potempin Shepherd. Yes. And Adam deals with the administration of trusts and estates, correct? Correct. I pretty much deal with anything involving death and disability of individuals, whether it's uh, with regard to real property, uh, making sure that the assets go to the right places, and just helping after the passing of a, a loved one overall. Gotcha. So Adam just did a class for us here at the Wilson Group, and Heather so and helpful. I yeah. so helpful. And Heather and I are like, let's make this show about us because yeah. we have so many personal questions <laughs> we that we want to ask. <laughs> we could, we could. But before we went on air, we were just talking about marital rights and, yes. and inheriting, and you started telling us about the. The Slayer Statue. The Slayer okay. Statue. So Tennessee, and I don't know how many jurisdictions have one, but everyone should. Basically, if you kill someone, you're no longer able to inherit from them. And Tennessee kind of dumbed it down a little bit, but it has to be an intentional killing. It's not for a negligent action that results in death, but any sort of intentional killing that happens that cuts off the lines of inheritance, whether that's by a will or through intestate succession. So in instances where a husband and wife, one of them kills the other person and they own everything, let's say, for instance, a house as a tenants by the entirety or as a husband and wife and a husband shoots wife or wife shoots husband, as soon as she's found guilty or he's found guilty of an intentional killing, whether that's you know murder one or manslaughter or something of that nature, it severs the tenancy. So instead of inheriting the full amount of the property as one would normally do upon the passing of their spouse, they're only entitled to a 50%. It severs it into a tenancy in common and treats the bad acting party as if they predeceased the, I guess, the victim. Interesting. Wow. Okay. I didn't know yeah. that. These are all sorts of things that we just talked about for about an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> it's just fascinating. It I is. think what you do is fascinating. I'm sure you could tell stories for probably days on scenarios and how things play out. And and, and um, most of them, I don't tell my wife until after they're done. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> should be nervous. So I do have a question. How did you fall into this area of law? By happenstance, mostly. So... While waiting for my bar results back in 2012, I worked for free for about six months with Metro Legal. I made some connections there. I have a background in mathematics. I have a degrees in applied economics. I was a failed engineer and needed to use the calculus classes. And one thing about lawyers is uh, lawyers typically aren't good at math. So I had a financial background. And so one of the connections I made at Metro Legal got appointed for a new office called the Office of Conservatorship Management here in Nashville, which is very unique. We had an attorney that stole millions of dollars from disabled people. So the Metro government came in and said, hey, we need more oversight. I was selected to help with the financial aspects of that. So making sure that, I guess, people weren't stealing money. Because that attorney stole money, Metro also funded 
a new position called the probate master. And I was the first probate master of Nashville, uh, by, appointed by Judge Randy Kennedy. And my job was virtually to not only oversee the conservatorship side of things, but then oversee the estate and conservatorship aspects. And if trust got involved in the court system, to make sure that when funds were spent, that they were spent appropriately. I didn't know anything about probate. When I came out of law school, I just wanted a job. It was a very poor market. I think my first job, I was working like 80, 80 hours a week for 45 grand a year for a terrible firm. And then I just got lucky. I was good at talking about sports. Uh, the judge at that time really enjoyed sports. So we made a connection and then he appointed me in that position. And then from there, once we had a child, I realized that the government doesn't pay that well. Right. I had to go into private practice. And I had the fortune of auditing pretty much all of the firms in Nashville that dealt with probate to see which, which attorneys I would want to ultimately work with. And I think I chose a pretty good bunch overall. I would say. I would agree. Well, congratulations. We are so glad. So how we know Adam is one of our agents at the Wilson Group, Shannon Barber. Adam is her husband. Mm-hmm. And so through just all that, we got to know him and we have a one phone call away yes. guy we can call with all of our questions. And now we get to share all of your information on our podcast today. Yeah. So what's your favorite part of what you do? Favorite and worst part is clients and clients. Yes, that's like real estate. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you have clients that are just fantastic and appreciate everything and like that, that are actually respectful, it's fantastic and you get to help them out. There's some people that, as you guys know, that you'll never make happy no matter what hoops you jump through, mm-hmm. no matter you know the extra steps you take. And the biggest frustration in the legal field is that, I guess, we are professionals, but we're accessible by text message by phone, Mm -hmm. by email, by appointment, by random appointment. We always kind of joke is that like, you don't get to call your doctor and just say, doc, what's going on, man? Am I going to die? But we are expected to be accessible 24 hours a day virtually. And that's also my own fault as well, because I will answer emails late at night and then I should probably set a timer for that or um, I don't yeah scheduler scheduler to, that's mm-hmm. it yeah, yeah. To, <laughs> we all should <laughs> yeah. we all should so we, we talked about burnout yeah. on a, our earlier <laughs> podcast we did. and that's one of it so for our listeners you were talking about how you hold property I know we just talked about mm-hmm. it out there but let's chat about it again with property I mean there's several different ways to hold it the most common form is if you hold it individually it's called fee simple fee simple absolute is the term and that means that you have the sole rights to that property, you can convey it to whoever you want without any permission or anything of that nature. When two individuals hold property together, generally when they're not married, it's going to be called tenancy in common. And the tenants in common, you own an undivided interest with that person. You can do with whatever you want with your interest, but you can't affect the other person's interest. So if I own 50% and you own 50%, I can give away my 50%, but I can't take anything away from you. Mm -hmm. Upon my death, it either passes pursuant to my will, trust, or if no will, then it passes to my heirs at law. And then upon your death, it would do the same thing where our rights aren't affected by each other. The Next form is called Joint Tenants with the Right of Survivorship, JTWROS, how it's generally referred to. It must be mentioned specifically in the deed. So it has to say with right of survivorship at a minimum. Most of the time it says joint tenants with right of survivorship. And I mentioned earlier that the state of Tennessee, it's actually, that's been abolished by statute, but the Supreme Court came in in 2016 in a case called Bryant v. Bryant, basically said, hey, if people intended for this to happen, their intentions need to be respected. And with joint tenants with the right of survivorship, upon the passing of the first individual, or if there's multiple people, the last 
player in the game alive gets the property in whole. Your will doesn't get to transfer your interest. A trust doesn't get to transfer the interest. And upon your death, if you have no will or trust, then the laws of intestate succession don't apply. So it's by contract that this goes to whoever the survivor is. Hmm. The next one is called tenants by the entirety. Tenants by the entirety is when a husband and wife own it. In Tennessee, if you purchase property as a husband and wife, it's presumed that it is by tenants by the entirety. Upon the first individual's passing, it goes automatically to the other individual. And we see this probably 95% of the time, right? Yep. And if you want to convey property that's tenants by the entirety, you have to have signatures of both husband and wife. One person cannot act without the other. With joint tenants with right of survivorship, you get the benefit of the survivorship aspect. However, if one party wants to convey their interest, they can sever the tenancy and then create from that joint tenants, uh, although you don't have both individuals signing off on the deed, you can sever it so there's no longer a right of survivorship. Can't do that with tenants by the entirety. So if Heather and I wanted to buy a piece of property, are you saying that joint tenants with rights of survivorship we cannot do that now because that's been abolished. And no, it's you just, can. You can. You, you can. It's just so the it's Supreme weird, Court overrode it all yeah. together. So yep. when it so went away, it came we're back. good. Okay, yeah. <laughs> got it. Uh, that was a question I wanted to ask in professional development. Today. Yeah, like, well, but what? Got yeah. It's taking us back to real estate school. I feel like they kind of went over a chapter of this right. in real estate school. But then once you leave real estate school, it's not something you talk about every day, and we just leave that with the title attorneys. Yeah. Right? right. Like, <laughs> and that came up just a minute ago too. So for you realtors, buyer agents out there who are writing offers for maybe it's two friends buying a place together or boyfriend, girlfriend or boyfriend, boyfriend or whatever, make sure you have that attorney reach out to your client to help them understand how they need to hold ownership. Correct. And if it is a husband and wife and perhaps they're on their second or third marriage and they want right. to make sure that you know their individual families are taken care of, they need to have it specifically mentioned on the deed that it's a tenants in common as opposed to a, uh, a tenancy by the entirety. Got it. Got it. Interesting. But if you have a will that would equally distribute things between all mixed parties and like biological children, stepchildren. With tenants by the entirety, the surviving spouse wins. Okay. And a lot of times what will happen is hopefully the husband and wife will come together in these mixed family situations and they'll have a plan. Yeah. That they'll have what we call mirrored wills, where they both say the same thing, where both sets of families are taken care of in equal routes. Okay. What doesn't happen is uh, we have former wills that give everything to our children. Maybe just say to, to my children in equal shares, that doesn't include stepchildren. Right. Stepchildren have no rights of inheritance, only adopted children and biological children do. So if you own a piece of property as tenants by the entirety and it goes to the surviving spouse and they have an old will that gives everything to my children, the first spouse to die, their family may be without anything yeah. Got overall. Mm-hmm. Good to keep in mind. Yeah, definitely. We didn't really talk about this earlier, but there's... We talked about the aging population and as people, you know, the baby boomers as they're getting older, even the people from the depression era, whether it's dementia, Alzheimer's, what happens if they go in and change up their will? It depends. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> good. That's yeah. a good attorney answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> Anytime that dementia is brought up or Alzheimer's, I mean, that doesn't mean that you're incompetent in order to execute an estate plan. Mm -hmm. However, what we like to have happen, and any good estate planning attorney worth their salt is going to get a letter from the doctor to say, hey, this person is competent. They have dementia, or I forget what the early stages of Alzheimer's are, but that, hey, this is 
a degenerative disease, but at this time, they're lucid enough and they have the competency in order to execute estate documents. What sometimes happen is that bad actors come into play and we find out upon mom or dad's death that bad son got everything in the will or there was transactions that were done by power of attorney and then we have to either go into will contest mode seeking that that person unduly influenced the execution of the will generally speaking that doesn't happen with a lot of attorneys most estate planning attorneys better have uh, no one else in the room besides the witnesses and besides the testator executing these documents. And that would avoid the ability for someone to not completely avoid, but it reduce the risk of somebody unduly influencing the outcome of whatever happens with, you know, mom or dad's assets. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, that happens all the time, unfortunately, is that, uh, I mean, people print wills offline, people write handwrite wills or allegedly handwrite wills and uh, gives everything to one, you know, child or to the caretaker. If everything is given to a caretaker, there's going to be a presumption that it was wrong. You have to overcome that presumption by clear and convincing evidence that you, in fact, need to take it. And that's and same thing with like a clergyman and anybody that holds a fiduciary power over you or is in a, uh, I guess, a dominion to be able to control you. Uh, there's going to be create an automatic presumption in the law that you have to overcome. The competency to execute a will is very low. So that's always a tough burden to overcome because you basically just need to know who your family is, know what stuff that you have, and you need to know where that stuff needs to go. And as long as you know that and you're, you know, reasonable, then that's probably going to be considered valid will. Did y'all see the movie Knives Out? I was just thinking <laughs> of Knives Out. I was getting ready to ask that. He leaves everything to his caretaker. To his caretaker. The family's fighting. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing movie if you haven't seen it. I probably have. Um, it's a couple but, years old. Yeah, it yeah. came out, I think, during COVID or right it before did. COVID. It was like Thanksgiving and we drugged the kids and all went and saw it. It was really good. Now, that was there, now, no, there on the ship. Heather did not drug her yeah. kids. Yeah. She dragged, she dragged her kids. <laughs> Okay, so let's go back to the things that I say and Christy say that irritate us, but also irritate Irritate you, let us know. That's one of them. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Shoulda, coulda, dragged, dragged. <laughs> we were talking about that on the podcast. Yeah. I feel like there's like a l- short list. We go back and listen to these before they air. I have a list of things that I say that I'm trying to stop. I get it. Ever saying yeah. again. And, and I hate the way I laugh. So I'm trying not to laugh so much, but it everything happens. happens. It's funny. We say a lot of funny things. And I generally am the person that I'll always have my foot in my mouth because yeah. I, I talk off the cuff and like it, it's always bad. But as long as you have a good spirit about it, that's it's right. Fine. Yeah, that's yeah. all right. Hi, I'm Harry Allen, co founder and chief relationship officer of Studio Bank. Studio Bank is passionate about what our members create. And we're here to support you through the process. We provide capital and services to build businesses. We offer mortgage and home loan options, whether you're a first-time home buyer or purchasing your fifth home. We work with artists to reach their audiences. We help nonprofits transform our community. And often, the most important work we do is simply empowering individuals to pursue their dreams. We're here because what you create matters. Let's create something together. Visit studiobank.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS number 1761767. Have you come across any instances, and I've always wondered what happens with this, you hear about these eccentric people who leave everything to their cat or their dog <laughs> or awesome. something. 
Yeah, we have, uh, I guess, one right in the neighborhood where thing was left in trust for the benefit of these dogs. And it's fine, but the problem is the trustee doesn't want anything to do with the dogs. Mm. So we're in a situation where we want to sell this house, but we can't sell the house because the dogs are there and the caretaker doesn't want the dogs in their place. I guess we had to file a motion with the court in order to rehome the animals just so we can, I guess, continue with the administration of the estate because nobody wanted the animals. So what (laughs) happens to the money after the dogs are deceased? In that situation, I think that it goes to several charities. Okay. Overall, I think the uh, deceased individual just hated their family, you know, for one reason or another. Sure. But uh, they specifically wrote out the children from inheriting anything. And here in Nashville, we also had, I guess, the the statute on 65, I guess, the Confederate statute. That oh, they the Bedford, Nathan Bedford Forrest yes, statute. Yes, that one. Mm-hmm. So oh, yes. That individual, when he passed, left nothing to his children, gave everything to uh, to his dogs as well. Oh. I don't know what happened with uh, after the dogs pass, but uh, yeah, you absolutely can name whatever entity or you know pet that you want to take care of and trust. That's crazy. Interesting. That really happens. I, I didn't know if that was really a thing. Yeah, I remember, I don't doing. remember if it was Lorena Hemsley. Hemsley, she was a big hotel heiress in New York, left everything, I think. Or it was one of those really older heiresses, for lack of a better word who left everything to a dogs or something. Yeah, I think it's the ultimate screw you to your children yeah, for, yeah. Sure. for not helping yeah. out. Exactly, exactly. Absolutely. I'm gone, I'm going to haunt you, and you get nothing. Yeah. You get nothing. Put my Pomeranian. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pomeranian. <laughs> oh, my word. And same thing with, like, the long-standing. In, the pets that have long lives, like parrots, live, like, 100 years. So, like, you have to have a provision in your will for someone to take care of your parrot. Presuming that you want that parrot to go to someone nice. Tortoises, same thing. So, like, those are the most common ones. It's like, hey, you know, Jim. Parrots taste like chicken. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) This guy needs to go to Tampa and he needs to (laughs) live a good life as a pirate. Yeah. But, yeah, so the long living creatures as well. I mean, people generally try to make provisions for them to be taken care of. Dang. Dogs have shorter lifespans um, in relation to humans, but... um, Christian, we thought our profession was interesting. For sure. No, I mean, I'd you... like to just like a week at your office and <laughs> some of the things that you guys deal with. I'll take you on a couple ride-alongs. Yeah, yeah. that would be fun. Yeah. Like, Please. Like the one when you called your, or texted your wife, hey, I'm headed to prison <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah, I unfortunately have to go, like, uh, go to prison quite a bit. Here in Nashville, we have, I guess... I think it's the only one in Tennessee where it's a prison, but also a mental hospital. So when individuals become disabled as a favor to the court, I'll get appointed as an attorney ad litem to either advocate or just look into the situation. I have to go meet these folks in, in prison. I generally take off my tie and, and my belt just to, just to make sure I have uh, less things to strangle me with. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and like one of the funny stories that happened with that is... Um, I went to go meet this guy. He was uh, he murdered some folks up in Gallatin, and he was uh, he's down here. And I, I did my job. I was getting ready to leave, and this large, like six foot eight man. As soon as I walked out of the room, he picked me up and he put me back in the room and locked the door. Uh, he was a guard. Oh, um, but sorry. Oh, yeah. yeah, he was a guard and he just locked me in the door. And I, you don't have a watch or a phone, so you don't know how long you've been in there because those things aren't allowed in prisons. And I was in there hour and a half, two hours, and then they just opened the door and let me out and didn't tell me anything that happened. So I was just stuck without any way to contact anybody. Wait, so you go, you're meeting with a prisoner who mm-hmm. has mental health issues, I guess, and the guard put you in a room, locked you in a room? Yeah, so in this situation... For your safety? 
That's what I presume, that there was some sort of, maybe not a riot, but there's something that happened on one of the floors where they made sure that I was locked in a room and nobody could get after me. Oh my gosh. What do you do for an hour and a half with no phone? Or I learned all about the gangs of Gallatin. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, so I, you were with the person. I was the person. talking to this person and we were on, uh, oh, I guess, different he... sides and he, and I was just sit, sitting there talking to him. He had all sorts of face tattoos. So I learned about those. Yeah. And, you know, when you fill in the teardrops versus when you have them empty. An empty teardrop means you still have uh, have a job to do, and you fill it in. Apparently, when uh, whenever you complete that job. Oh my God! Like killing somebody? Yes. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> I <laughs> that's an education to me too. <laughs> I didn't know there were gangs in Gallatin either. No, yeah. no, and uh, I I've been there lots of times, and I've never seen one. But. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So so it's not just trusts, and you, you do all kinds of things. Then I am one of the few, I guess, attorneys that's willing to go to risky places mm-hmm. overall. So anytime that there's a, uh, a guardianship or, um, or a conservatorship where, let's say, for instance, I had this uh, gentleman uh, who murdered two people. The judge is not going to send a brand new attorney or someone that the judge doesn't feel competent to say they're going to be handle themselves. So generally with the rapists, the murderers, violent actors, there's three of us that get appointed. Name's Gary Temple, Mike Urquhart, and then myself. And everyone else gets the nice, sweet old lady that just has dementia that yeah. is just, you get to have a cup of tea with. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. She can be pretty vicious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had one guy that he murdered his brother-in-law by punching him so hard in the back it killed him. And I went to his house and I just had a cup of coffee with him and had talked about the weather and everything was fine. And he was just as polite as could be. To determine competency? Or? He, so in this one, he was already declared incompetent and we were, we were transferring the conservatorship from Hamilton County down there in Chattanooga up to Nashville. And just to make sure that we had all of our T's crossed and I's dotted, the judge appointed me just to look into everything. Okay. The attorney that was initially appointed as a conservator was was resigning because the the ward was uh, too difficult to deal with. And he was now, I guess, two hours away. I see. Overall. I see. But yeah, so I, I get a lot of those appointments where are just not ideal. And I, I generally don't tell my wife where I'm going yeah. uh, until after I'm already back. I'll text one of my partners like, hey, I'm at this address. Yeah. If Smart. you don't hear from me in an hour, <laughs> call the police. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. It is Realtor Safety Month. I never yes. thought about Attorney Safety Month. <laughs> right. <laughs> Shannon will do a lot of my, uh, I guess, probate sales. And they're not ideal situations because generally as people age, they uh, they don't take care of things. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't always know who the buyer, I guess not not only who the buyers are and who the seller is going to be. And like, sometimes I just, oh, Shannon, go ahead and meet with them. They're, they're good. I talked to them on the phone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just throw her out there. To, I think that's when she generally takes Rusty with her. Yeah. I, yes. I've gone with her on a couple. And actually everyone she's that I've been with her on, they're delightful. Just really yep. nice people. Okay. Let's talk about the, when your real property passes through your estate, mm-hmm. let's talk about how trusts and estates work upon your death. Perfect. Most people think that if they have a will, that's uh, that's the end all be all and everything's good. A will only, I guess, passes items that go through probate pursuant to the will. Anything that passes outside of probate isn't affected by the will. Real property is the exception. But the problem with real property is, uh, as I mentioned, a will is only good if a judge says it's good. So even if you have a will, I still have to go to court, take that to court, and the judge has to approve it. A lot of times it's a formality, and then we're able to just record that on the deed, which referred to as called muniment of title, M-U-N-I-M-E-N-T, where we're just saying, hey, judge, there's no actual estate other than this piece of real property. We just need to title it. Tell me it's a good will. If it's in a trust... 
and the property is placed in the trust prior to your passing, it passes pursuant to the terms of the trust without you ever having to go to court. But what inevitably happens is we have something called a pour-over will. We draft a trust for an individual and a, uh, and a will, hoping that you will fund that trust during your lifetime, change the deeds by quick claim deed. But if you fail to do something or you acquire a piece of property later on, this will is like a catch-all, a safety net that says, hey, anything I missed, just put this in my trust and the trust will determine mm. how that goes. Okay. The difference with regard to the will and the trust is that generally speaking, a trust is not going to be able to be attacked by your creditors or they're not going to go through the hassle in order to break into it. Where if you have real property that's in your name at the time of passing, your creditors have a right to attack it. They have a right to force the sale of it in order to pay their debts. Technically, in a revocable trust, they have the same same rights, but very rarely is that ever implicated. And I, I've only seen uh, a couple of us do it uh, to try to attack revocable trust in order to make sure that, uh, that the lien's paid off on, on certain properties. So at creditors, when it goes out to the creditors, is that your mortgage company, your credit card companies? Who would so, creditors be? Mortgage companies aren't generally too concerned because they are secured on the property and they know that if they don't get paid, that they're going to have a right to foreclose on the property. Perhaps back prior to 2008 and the mortgage collapse, when properties were, I guess, oversecured, then it became more of an issue. But now with, I guess, the regulations in place, most mortgage companies are pretty comfortable that they're going to be able to sell the property and recoup uh, what they're owed. So generally, we're more concerned about Lawsuits, judgments, if you're in a car accident, mm. credit cards, medical bills. Medical bills, not really, because most individuals will have Medicare. That'll cover the bulk of them. So it's generally credit cards. And in an estate, all creditors have up to one year from the date of passing in order to file a claim against an estate or if it's open. A creditor also has a right to open up your estate. So if, if your family ne- declines to do so, a creditor can file an estate action to file a claim against it in order to try to attack real property. But after that one-year anniversary from the date of passing, that's a statute of limitations, it's called. And they're forever barred with the exception of 10CARE. Because 10CARE is the government, they have an unlimited statute in order to recoup, I guess, assets. And for the most part, 10CARE is the only creditor that will actively open up an estate to force the sale of a decedent's home overall. And decedent is a a dead person. right? And that happens very often. And then your options are either if the family wants to keep the home, you have to pay the lien to 10 care or the home gets sold. Right. I know whenever I'm dealing with an estate sale, you have to provide what's called the 10 care letter. Yes. So the letter from 10 care saying that they are not owed anything, you're okay to sell. Yes. Anytime that somebody passes. So 10 care For legal purposes, we don't have to provide that to the court unless the person was over 55 years old. But anytime, even if the person was 30, the title companies are going to want to see a 10-care release. And it used to take a couple weeks to get, but I mean, they finally got with the 21st century, and now we can just send an email, and we usually get it back within a day or two. Oh, good. So it's not as big of a concern with regard to closing, but... I mean, four years ago, five years ago, I mean, that would certainly oh shut down God. a sale. In the early 2000s, and they would fax them or mail them. I mean, it was awful. It took weeks to get a 10-care letter. Like oh, if yeah. you were dealing with an estate sale, you started on that the day you listed the property. Yep. Yeah. 
And then, uh, I mean, 10 Cares Council, very easy to deal with overall if, uh, if a family is on 10 Care. So 10 Care is a Medicaid program as opposed to Medicare. Medicaid is generally reserved to you only can have a residence in under $2,000 worth of assets for individuals. And then 10 Care will step in and pay for different things, such as a nursing facility, medication, and they put a lien on everything. And most individuals that have, I guess, uh, some sort of estate plan generally don't have a 10 care worry. So it's just a formality overall. Mm. Okay. Got it. So your trust then directs the will? I guess, yes and no. A trust can have a provision in there. Let's say a husband and wife have trust together. Then the trust says, hey, upon, you know, first person's passing, the other spouse gets taken care of. But then I want the property to be distributed this way. But there's something called a power of appointment that permits the last person to die's will to direct how certain aspects of the trust are allocated after passing. So a will can affect a trust, but there has to be a specific what's called power of appointment in both documents. Generally, a will only affects assets, what we consider probate assets, that are in the decedents in the name individually with no joint beneficiary or uh, beneficiary designation. So if a trust owns a piece of property, your will has no effect, whatever assets are in that trust. So we had a case, I guess this has been several years, where this guy owned the barge company here in town, and then he put property into a trust, but then he executed a quick claim deed in order to convey that property to someone else. And then the Judge Kennedy here ruled that, hey, because it was in the trust and you didn't sign it as trustee and you only signed it in your individual capacity, you have no right to convey that property. And then that was taken up to the Court of Appeals and the Court of Appeals agreed by, with uh, Judge Kennedy. So when owning something by a trust and you're trying to convey it, it's very important to make sure your capacity is correct in whatever document you're using, whether warranty deed or quit claim deed, even though you may also own, I guess, be the beneficiary and grantor of the trust, you have to make sure that you delineate that, hey, I'm conveying this as, in my capacity as trustee. And the reason that's important is because when you are a trustee of a trust, you owe a fiduciary responsibility to all of the beneficiaries, whoever those may be, where if you own something outright, you don't have a duty to anybody other than yourself. So, okay, so I have a trust and I'm the trustee of my trust. When I sell a piece of property in my trust, then I just sell it as Christy Wilson trustee. Correct. Right, okay. It probably wouldn't flag anything if you conveyed it as just Christy Wilson, but if somebody challenged it, the fact that you did not write it in your capacity as trustee, that's going to create an issue. Yeah. Got it, got it. Interesting. And that's wow. when the, uh, I guess the title insurance company gets That's called. right, that's yeah. right. <laughs> exactly. Like someone didn't do their... Homework and look at every letter. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what it's important to always have a good, I guess, closing title attorney overall. Yes. Call them right away. I call them as soon as I get any sort of estate, Mm -hmm. buyer, seller. I I call, I use banker's title and so give them a call and and they run through the list. I did the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. Because you just never know what's going to, something is going to rear its head. Right. When there's an estate. Yeah. And hopefully not. But I mean, there's a lot of hiccups there and like, we may need to get birth certificates. We may need to get death certificates right. and just depending on if that deceased individual did any sort of advanced planning overall. Uh-huh. We had one, one time, I can't remember which one of my agents had it and it was an estate sale or somebody had passed away and there were four or five kids and one of the kids, adult, he was, you know, now in his sixties had 
renounced his family and had moved to Iraq. That was me. That was you. Okay. <laughs> that was the lot. Yes. On Dakota. Okay. That's right. Yes. That's right. Like, who was that? <laughs> that was this me. This was so interesting to me. It was so interesting because he, we had to have his signature. Yeah. And so they had to track him down and... Like he was living... Iran? Iran or Iraq? I think so, yeah. And so they had, he had to go to an embassy... 12 hours away. Yes. He had to sign... And but then he had to have it notarized as well. And notaries overseas are not yeah, always right. Easy it was to get. really tough for they him had to, to find do it. him out in the desert. Yeah, I mean, was, he was like living. It took months. Yeah, to yeah. find him. Banker's title dealt with it, and mm-hmm. so then we found out DHL would actually get the documents and bring them here. Because we were like, well, how are we going to? I was like, I don't know how you get them back from there. But yeah, it it took a while, but it was they did it. Yeah, they followed through and and got this one signature that was needed and you know yeah I remember talking to Jim Wechter about it over yes, at Banger's Jim title dealt with it and I'm going I'm so fascinated by this whole thing and that was one of the most more unique ones yeah. I forgot that was yours that was years ago uh-huh. it was yeah. like your first deal it I think. was <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was like what is happening right now what is this business maybe I've I need into? to go to a new industry that's yeah. right <laughs> yeah that's right yeah it was a lot well will you tell us a little about your law office um I I know personally several of the guys that you work with. Um, I went to college with Matt Potempa, and I just think the world of you guys, but I want everyone else to know about your group. I think we have 12 attorneys now. We're waiting on one of them to uh, get her bar results, but we jokingly, we handle things from womb to tomb. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a tagline. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we have an estate planning team. All they do is estate planning documents. Is that what Matt does? Nope. This no. is, uh, okay. I guess, David Heller and John Wilkes are the partners that are in control of that team. And they'll handle the drafting of all the wills, trusts, power of attorneys, um, I guess, like a business succession, as well as, uh, I guess, creating corporations and things of that nature. Matt Potempa, he is a partner that's in charge of the litigation team. So he'll handle any sort of probate litigation. So anytime that we have a will contest where we discussed, you know, mom didn't have capacity or something of that nature, that's when Potempa gets involved. And then also undue influence, breach of fiduciary duty, or just general real estate litigation where we're dealing with somebody that's passed away and now we need to make sure that uh, these people in the family don't get it. Then we have a family law team with uh, Sean Martin as a partner on that, that handles only, I guess, family law, divorces. I don't think we do adoptions anymore, but thing, anything involving, I guess, the separation of uh, married individuals. And then and Sean is great. He's been yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yes. And then we have a estate administration team, which myself and uh, Jennifer Shepard had. And this is where we handle all of the probate estates trust administration. And then I also dabble a lot in partition actions. And then that's where you force the sale of real property. And then also just retitling property to making sure that a lot of times elder individuals, uh, I mean, we have properties that uh, the last deed was in 1920. You just have to figure out how to get that uh, to where it is. And most of the time with regard to that aspect, I like to do, I guess, cost efficiency Meaning that, hey, we are by far not the cheapest people in town, but we're by far not the most expensive. But if we can get you the job done for a reasonable rate, we'll certainly do it. If not, I send you out because I don't think it's worth, I guess, your money to fix an easy problem overall. So we try to be pretty cost conscious with regard to that aspect. But uh, my team, we have three and a half attorneys, hopefully four, (laughs) coming in October, a couple paralegals. Unofficially, we are the largest, I guess, probate firm 
you know, if not the state of Tennessee, definitely middle Tennessee. Nice. So here's a question in listening to everything you said and all the things you do. Sometimes we have clients, whether it's our client or client on the other side, who are not good players in the transaction and oftentimes need a letter written from an attorney saying action will be taken if A, B, or C. Do you guys do stuff like that? That depends. I'm not, I guess, the cheapest option overall for just writing a letter. Mm-hmm. But if uh, generally when we, we look at that, I'm going to be upfront with you, but we absolutely do write demand letters. Mm-hmm. It's just what are the steps and what do we think the overall cost is? The, the biggest problem with demand letters is that uh, there'll, there'll be some attorneys in town that'll do it for 150 bucks or mm-hmm. something of that nature. Inevitably, things go wrong. And then it takes way more time than anyone anticipated because of the bad player. And then we're in a situation where, hey, you just spent $2,500 and like initially we just talked about a letter. So in those situations, it's just a case-by-case basis mm-hmm. overall. And what do we think the outcome is going to be? I like to advise people to do as much as they can without an attorney, mm-hmm. but inevitably sometimes attorneys have to get involved yeah. because although I like to keep the lights on, I don't want to do it at anyone's expense. Right, right. Yeah. Good deal. Well, as always, Adam, you are just a wealth of knowledge and you're fun and interesting. (laughs) And we just so appreciate you joining Heather and I today. And I know our listeners do too. Always learn so many new things. Yeah. I mean, I took today in class, I I like took five pages of notes here. Yeah. All useless knowledge. All all useless knowledge. (laughs) It's my new cocktail party talk. (laughs) I've got an event tonight. I'm going to really. Did you uh, know about trust? Yeah. More bedtime talk. (laughs) Yeah. Right. How do you hold title to your property? Yeah, instead of what's your sign, how do you hold right. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. We yes. are going to put all of your contact information mm-hmm. in our show notes. So if anybody wants to get in touch with you or anyone on your team or go to your website, it will all be there. So thank you for making us smarter today. Perfect. Well, yeah. thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. We'll have you again, I'm sure, or Sean or Matt or your whole team. Or the just, whole firm. The yeah, whole we'll, firm. Yeah. We can just do that. And y'all have your bar party today, right? Yeah, the National Bar Association picnic is tonight. I try to tell our uh, associates that, hey, it was free booze, free food, and like free networking. Right. Sounds like realtors. Yes. (laughs) And to all of our listeners out there, if you guys have a topic or something you'd like Heather and I to discuss, feel free to email us, podcast at wilsongrouprealestate.com, and we will get on it. Thanks for tuning in. Call ATA, CPA, and advisors to help you with all of your accounting needs. ATA can help you amplify your business with tax planning, client accounting services, advisory, and assurance services. Contact partner David Hart and the ATA team today at 615-662-2727 or visit atacpa.net to get started. Hey, if you're loving the show, we would be delighted to hear from you. Be sure to go over to your podcast app, scroll down to where it says ratings and reviews, and tell us your thoughts. Your words might just be what the next person needs to tune in and move up in their life. This show is edited by Elizabeth Evans Media. The Wilson Group Property Management Services specializes in managing your properties, including multifamily units and small commercial. We provide two levels of service, full property management, which takes all the stress and hassle off of you, or 
tenant placement only, where we find the tenant and you, the owner, self-manage. Visit our website today at wilsongroupralestate.com and click rent to learn more.